We're doing First John, walking in the light. First John, the path to living deeply in Christ. This is part 12. There's a phrase in this text. First John 3, we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. So here at home, start up your Bible, open it up, however you do it. Let's look at this text together. He appeared to take away sins. That's the title, and it's taken from this text. Let's read it together. Not out loud, but follow along as I read. Everyone who makes, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. So you can see, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but what John is doing, he has the concern that we talk about this all the time. Sin, sinning, cleanse from our sins, forgive us our sins. That he's concerned that in the body of Christ, it might become just a label and there's a definition problem. So he, right out of the gate, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. So that's what sin is. Sin isn't weakness. He'll say it again. Sin is lawlessness. So it's, it's failure, but it's not just failure. It's weakness, but it's not just weakness. There's, there's a component to sin that we dare not leave out, and that is that there's an element of rebellion to it. Okay, There's a, there's a moral wickedness, not just an inability. Sin is lawlessness, five. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, okay, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Do we have a problem with that? Anybody in the room, do you feel like in, in thought, motive, intent, or omission, anybody in the room feel like you were absolutely sinless last week? Well, we got a problem. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. It's getting worse. Little children. Let no one, let no one deceive you. His concern is that there is accurate thinking here. That question I just raised, that's a tricky question. Don't, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be walking around unaware. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices, and now we start to see what he's talking about. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning. So he's not just talking about the fact that all of us until Jesus comes, as we grow in holiness, we still, we still sin. Some are unintentional, some are intentional, though we, we make like they're unintentional. But he's talking about this ongoing, persistent, I know what I should do, and I'm just not going to do it. So there's that, that, that's what he's talking about. The practice of sinning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, and then he says, is of the devil. I don't like to think that I line up with the devil, do you? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared is to 
is to destroy the works of the devil. That's what that is, by the way, the practice of sinning. No one born of God, he'll say it again, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Look at this. And who are the children of the devil. Now, please remember. Here's what I meant here. Watch this. I can, I can do that. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. He's writing to the church, to Christians, and he has to talk to them about being children of the devil. Think about that for a minute. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. What a text. It's significant to me the way John, I don't know if you noticed, but he talks about the, the two comings of Jesus into this world. He's already talked about the second coming. We looked at these words, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, this is something in the future, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at, at his coming. There it is again. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So that's the second coming of Jesus. But he's also talked about the first coming of Jesus. You know that he appeared, past tense. But it's still the same purpose. He appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's a practice of sinning. And the reason the Son of God appeared, that's the first coming, is to destroy the works of the devil. So, the purpose of both entries of Jesus Christ into this world, first coming, second coming, but the purpose is the same. It's to purify us from sin. It's to destroy the works of the devil. So that's God's heart. That's his passion. This is everything God does. This is, this is what it's about. Everything God does among mankind is directed toward the removal of every trace of sin from the human heart. One day that will be in total when Jesus comes again, but he wants to start that work now in our hearts and lives. So, this divine purpose, destroying the works of the devil, destroying the practice of sin, John says it gets frustrated in primarily two ways. They're both in the text. Two ways that the work of God in destroying sin in our lives, two ways that happens. First, one is doctrinal. People can deny the greatness and uniqueness of, of who Jesus is. That's chapter 2, 22 to 24. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Son. He who denies the Son has the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 
Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If that what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So they can, they can do it doctrinally. Frustrate the sin-canceling work of God in the heart. It can be done doctrinally by denying who Jesus is. God the Son, who died on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. Secondly, it can be done, it can be done practically. I can, I can just live in such a way that it doesn't look as though holiness is very important. And that's what John is dealing with in today's text. So there are doctrinal heresies about Jesus. It's important. And there is moral rebellion in the realm of personal holiness. Notice how his words start out in that seventh verse where he says, little children, little children, please, John says, let no one deceive you. So little children, that means he's writing to professing Christians, not to the world at large. And then he's talking about basic truths about sin and righteousness that, that we, we, right here, watching, we, we can get deceived about, we can get careless in our thinking. That's John's worry in this text. That's what he wants to set straight. So I have four thoughts coming out of this text this morning. One, sin must never be redefined in terms more comfortable for the sinner. He deals with that in that fourth verse of chapter three. I highlighted it when I read the text the first time. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That word lawlessness. John uses it here. It's not used a lot. It's the strongest, it's the most aggressive verb that's used in the New Testament to define what sin is. A lot of the older translations will translate the same word transgression, lawlessness, transgression. And, and as the term implies, it's a lot more than just failure. I mean, we all fall in different ways. We fail at different times, but that's not the essence of John's description of sin. Rebellion would be a better term. Knowing what's right and just choosing not to do it. Now remember, He's writing to Christian people. He, John is saying, if you're serious about pursuing holiness with a passion, you, you first need to recognize what you have to constantly deal with, Don, in your own heart. If you're wrong on the diagnosis, you'll be wrong about everything that's important in your walk with Jesus. And this is a point where, according to John, we can be easily blinded by deception. Don't, don't be deceived, he says. The depth of what's wrong in my heart is unbelievably easy for me to overlook many, many times. I don't mind when I can just come and in some general sense, while people are singing Amazing Grace, 
Yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Praise God. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I sing it all the time. Everyone admits to being a sinner. Pretty much everyone in the church. I mean, that's just doctrinally correct. It's kind of polite, humble sounding. But, but really, John's not talking about a, a churchy kind of recognition of sin. I've noticed it in myself and in others, how rarely we characterize our own actions and especially our reactions to circumstances and other people. How rarely we really categorize them as rebellious to God and participating with Satan. I talk with lots of people. I talk with people who have tough issues with other people in the church. I talk to people who are chewing at the bit to get out of their marriage. I talk to people who get into legal and financial wrangling with other people in the church. I talk to people who get hurt feelings. And it would shock you how rarely, when people are in those situations, how rarely they talk about their own sin. It gets so easy to justify. I'm just the same way. But if you knew, next year, 40 years, I will have been in Cedarview Community Church next year. And if you knew that in 40 years, there probably haven't been five occasions when anyone has come into my office in the middle of a messy situation and just said, you know what my problem is, Pastor Don? It's not my wife. It's not my job. It's not that person who did this or that to me in the church. You know what my problem is? I, I can't believe I am such a stubborn, stinking, rotten sinner. That's my problem, Pastor Don. Would you please pray for me? Not five times in 40 years. We are good. I'm in the same boat. I'm not condemning you. I'm in the same boat. We are so good at defining things without using that word lawlessness. So John wants, he wants the definition right. I will get nowhere in my walk with Jesus if I'm lax on defining my own sin. My, my, my primary problem isn't my failure or my weakness or my temperament or my environment. My, my primary problem, says John, is I, I've got this thing in me that when I know the right thing to do, there's something in me that keeps pulling me in the opposite direction, and I almost always find another explanation for it. There are some practical closing lessons on this first point. There are two situations that make personal confession of sin difficult. First, confession and deliverance becomes more painful when I've let a situation kind of fester for a long time that I know I should have dealt with a long time ago. Then it gets harder to repent because, well, you just feel ridiculous bringing something to God when you know in your heart you should have come three years ago. Because... Because what's the good excuse for waiting that long? So, so there's something about holding on to a sin. That's why he talks about making a practice of sinning. Remember I pointed that out? There's something about 
repeating a pattern of, of rebellion for a while that makes it harder to come back to the Lord later on. And secondly, I think confession and deliverance becomes more awkward when I have to go to someone with whom I'm personally close. In those situations, confession is more difficult because these people, they, they, they know me best. And I tend to just assume those relationships don't need personal confession to sustain them. So there's the definition. I mustn't rename sin, point number one, as something else. You, you need to face the rebellion that lies deep in our hearts. And that's John's concern. Point number two, that was the longest one, by the way. Point number two, remember that Jesus came to take away our sin. You can see it in uh, verse five and verse eight, if you got your Bible there. You know that he appeared, that's the first coming of Jesus. He appeared to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, can't say it clearer than that, the reason that the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. And there, I'm not saying everywhere, but here, the works of the devil, he's not talking about uh, brain aneurysms, arthritis, cancer, heart attacks. He's not talking that. The works of the devil here is, is that, this practice of sinning. That's what he's talking about. Jesus came to take away sin, and then the same thing, to destroy the works of the devil. Notice, he, he didn't just come to take away the guilt of my sin. He does do that. Praise God. He, it says he came to take away my, my sin. That first phrase, he appeared to take away sins. Take them away. I think some of the big distortions of the atonement sometimes get birthed in our minds from some of the old gospel songs and hymns that I love. I love to sing. We do it quite a bit. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing untrue in that at all. But, but if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, that hymn can shape something in my mind and leave me with the impression that, well, that's what sin is. Sin is a stain. It's a stain. There's a guilt stain. And the blood of Jesus washes that stain away. I mean, after all, washing the clothes can take the stain away, but it doesn't actually change the clothes. So is that what Jesus does? Did he come to take away sin in the sense of, I have a guilty heart and he forgives me? Yes, that is, that is a very precious thing that he does. But it, it gets very easy to just think in terms of the washing away of my sins as just something on my record before God that needs erasing. And that's true too. But it's not the whole truth about the coming of Jesus Christ and his cross. It's interesting to go back to the text and you'll find more than just forgiveness in God's plan of salvation. Look at some of these verses. I'm going to go through four of them really fast. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I mean, all of those verses, and I could have put 50 verses. They all say the same thing, that Jesus came and Jesus died, not just to change my record, but to change my actions. He died not just to change my standing, but to change my character. That's the heart and soul of authentic New Testament redemption. The power of the cross to change my life. Primarily starting with the way it changes my affections. The power of Jesus, God's seed, John says, that abides in us. That that power comes to change the life. It comes to people who used to love sin and it causes them to hate sin. It comes to people who used to love pleasure, but it changes them so they love holiness more than they love pleasure. That's what John is saying in these verses. The power of the cross comes to people who who used to resemble the devil. And it makes them resemble Jesus. That's the new creation part. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is, is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. Well, so why did Jesus come? Well, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Point number three, there are only four. We must allow God's seed to abide and grow in our hearts. Let me just read this to you quickly. It's verses 6 through 10. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one, no exceptions there, right? No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. There's, there's the two choices. The reason the Son of God appeared, here's why Jesus came, is to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Well, for God's seed abides in him. He can't. He cannot keep sinning because he's been born of God. By this is it evident, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So I, John seems to want to deal with several important subjects in, in these verses. A, he doesn't want people just talking about the righteousness of God in their hearts unless it's also reaching their hands and feet. That's in, that's in 6 and 7, right? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This idea that, that one, could, one could keep on sinning. I can confess Jesus, come to church, raise my hands, close my eyes, sing the worship choruses. But I know this issue that God's talking to me about, and I don't have to, I don't have to deal with it. And I can still go to heaven, and I'll be fine, because God is gracious and God is loving. So it's, it's, it's at that point that John says this. Read this out loud, that phrase right there. Yeah, you can't hear it at home, but they did. They all read it out loud. So, that, so that, that's, that's his concern, see? I've got something God is dealing with me about, but gee, how serious can that actually be? Jesus came and died on the cross, and, 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 and I'm forgiven. And he says, don't, don't let... Don't let anybody deceive you about this. That's what John says. The same kind of exhortation from Paul. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay, B, the other thought in these verses is a Christian cannot continue in known sin without selling out to the devil. I don't like to think of it that way. I like to think, I like to think that, like I'm, you know, I think of all the things I do and all the things I say, and there aren't that many really wicked things. I'm like, I'm like 80% pretty nice things. And maybe 20%, sure, I get mad about something or impatient or I miss an opportunity to do something kind for someone in the name of Jesus. But like 80% of my life is, You'd be impressed with it. And there's only a few, a few little things that, and why do I have to, why do I have to worry about that? And, and, and it's as though John wants to wake me up when he says, you know, if, if, in those few little areas, if, if you're not serious about stopping sinning, your father isn't God. Your father is, do you see this? He links me up in, in a way that, that makes me realize the, the seriousness of my situation. He said the same thing in verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Those are troubling words for a lot of Christian people. We aren't sure what to do with words like he cannot keep on sinning because he's born of God. What kind of moral perfection does God have in mind here and who measures up to that? But those words really are life-giving rather than threatening. Like all of God's word, they bring light when they're properly understood. There's a particular kind of sin that John is dealing with. It's, he's dealing with a, a careless, high-handed, persistent sin with a refusal to acknowledge God is right and I am wrong. A refusal to take the steps that I need to take to make something right. Those times we've all had when I'd, I'd just rather persist in my own way rather than yield to the voice of God. And that's one of the reasons John mentions the originator of sin, the devil, who's been sinning from the beginning, 3.8. John wants to rem remove my blinders. He wants me to finally see there's nothing slight or unimportant in my continuing in sin, ever. This orientation towards sin only grows when it's indulged. 
Don't be deceived, 3, 7. And so, John makes two important contributions to a proper understanding of sin in these verses. First, we looked at these. Sin is lawlessness, and I need to define it as such. Never call it anything else. And, and secondly, if I continue in sin willfully, persistently, against all the counsel of God's word and spirit, I place myself in the devil's camp. I want to show you something that you, maybe you didn't know before. Even if you haven't been listening up till now, get this point. Paul wants to show John, and now I'm going to look at Paul, this idea that sin places me in a very bad spot, even if I'm unaware of it at the time, even if I don't care about it enough. Sin, sin places me in a very bad camp. Look at these words in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, so now we're talking about, John's been talking about how sin in general puts you in, you'll be like your father the devil because he's been sinning from the beginning. Okay, sin in general, that's what it does. Now Paul's talking about a sin, a particular sin. So we get to take the principle that John has and we get to focus in and say, is this really true? With any particular sin, is this true? That it puts me in the devil's camp. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no, give no opportunity to the devil. All sorts of translations uh, deal differently with that word right there. I think the old King James has give place. Do not give place to the devil. Opportunity is another word that's used. And the reason is it's a very hard word to translate from the Greek. The Greek word is topos. Everyone in the room, put your thinking cap on. What English word can you think of that we might get from the Greek word topos? If you got it, shout it out. Don't be embarrassed. Topography. Exactly. A map. To topography. Don't so be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, what happens if I, I don't listen? The Lord speaks. I see the verse in the Bible or the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I have opportunity to obey and I choose not to. Does anything really bad happen? I've been a Christian for 40 years. I pastor a church. What possibly could go wrong with me not listening to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to me about anger? Paul says, Don, here's what you're doing. You are carving out a specific topography. You are literally right here. You're saying, Satan, come. This is yours. Giving place, right? Topography. You're giving place to the devil. So there's John's big principle. But when you read it in John, it, it sounds too scary to be true. If you're going to just persist in some sin, you're just of your father, the devil. And we think, well, that can't be, really. And Paul says, well, let me show you how it works in practice. You, you can be professing to love Jesus and at the same time saying, right here, Satan, this is yours. 
I'm giving you, I'm giving you this place. I find that a striking truth. Four and we're done. Last point. Relational sins are by far the most damning. I, I probably, you know, you look at it afterwards, I probably didn't word that right. I'm not sure they're the most damning. I, I, they're the most, uh, they're like the most carcinogenic. They, 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 they seem to fester, they pop up more quickly. They're easier to get into, harder to get out of. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to say. Easier to get into relational sins, harder to get out of relational sins. Here's the last reference. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It isn't what you profess, by the way. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then he says, strangely, it's almost like it doesn't fit here. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. John sees no other way to say it. When you're taking off the blinders about the seriousness of sin, John says, Don, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of sin that you need to be particularly careful about. In a sense, the most dangerous are, are the relational ones. I mean, the thought of this verse would be just as complete if it ended right after, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. It could end right there, period. But, but John seems to know that if that's all he says, there's a particular tripping point that people might not think about. People might think about sin as being just about their relationship with God, not recognizing that that relationship with God gets passed through brothers and sisters in the church, which is why it's called the body of Christ. We'll think that righteousness just means focusing on God, and so John adds that last part. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 10. If you have the courage, that text that we read, 1 John 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, that, that text takes courage to read on your knees. It does. Be because there's just no way anybody can read it without feeling, Jesus, speak, speak, you speak to my heart. We, we don't, sin is lawlessness. It's rebellion. I've noticed even in, in our, even in our singing, we, 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 whether it's hymns or choruses, I'm not picking on anything here, but how easy it is to sing about storms and trials and fears and disappointments and hurts and how rarely the S word comes out. I need to be cleansed. I need to be cleansed from more than just my fears. I, I need to be cleansed of my moral badness, <laughs> right? 
Oh, Jesus, that, that's, that's what I, I don't want. I do not want to resemble the devil. I don't, I don't need any of his genes in my being. I want my heart, my affections to turn toward the Lord. And that's where the joy is. That's where the joy is. Let's pray together. We are grateful, even when it's presented weakly and fallibly, we are grateful for such a strong revelation in your word. We need a word that once in a while says, do not be deceived. We need a word that once in a while says, here's, here's what sin is. It's never less than that. We need a word that tells us, watch relationships in the body of Christ. Church, you can look up at me again. Here, here's been my experience. There are people, and I used to see their faces in the pew, and, and I mean before pandemic times. There's lots of people I don't see now. I mean before. And almost always when their faces flash before me and I think about how they, they at one point in time said, I am not going to that church ever again. Almost every time, almost every time somebody said something to them, Somebody did something to them. Somebody said something to one of their kids at youth. Someone did something to one of their kids in Christian ed. Somebody said something about, you know, this, and, and they, they shouldn't have said that, and I can't believe they did this. Nine times out of ten, they, that just keeps them. That's enough. I'm out. And you, and you start to see, no wonder, no wonder, John says, if you want to talk about righteousness, let me just give you an area to focus on. You love brothers and sisters that are just as imperfect as you are. Now let's pray again. So Jesus, just continue to work that miracle in our church, in our lives, in our hearts. Keep us from big blunders and mistakes as we follow and honor you. Thank you that you came to take away sin. Faithful is he who called you, and he also will do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.